And yes, God, we stand before you. Some of us, like little 17, 18-month-old children, our hands up to you, asking for help. Because God, there are some here in this room, there are some here who can hear my voice online in the sanctuary at True Worth. Uh, if we were honest, God, we feel very alone with the burden. We feel very alone with a problem, with an ailment, with a sickness. We feel very alone. We're surrounded by people in a home, in a marriage with children. They do not really know us. They do not understand us. We find ourselves alone with visions and dreams that no one can comprehend, God. There's some here, God, even in this place right now, in this room, in this very room, and in the sanctuary, in True Worth, God, maybe in a home online with other people around them where they're surrounded, but you are lonely, you feel alone. So God, it's my prayer before this morning is over that you make yourself known, that you touch, that you heal, maybe through a handshake, maybe through a smile, maybe through the word, maybe through a song, that no one leaves this place of worship without knowing that you are with them, you are before them. And you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hadn't God gifted us with some talented people in our, in our, in our church? All right, Tom Landry, the uh, infamous coach of the Dallas Cowboys, going to have a pre-team fire up pregame meeting, going to fire up the team for the big game, and before he gives his pregame speech, he leans over to uh, Leroy Jordan, middle linebacker, All-American from uh, Alabama, played under Bear Bryant, and he says, hey, Jordan, captain of the defense, uh, I need you to lead the team in the Lord's Prayer while I'm done. Got it, coach. Landry goes on, does his pregame speech and doing what he needs to do. And while he's doing all of that, uh, smart aleck captain quarterback Don Meredith, known as Dandy Don Meredith to some of you older folks, he, he leans over to Chuck Howley, who was one of Jordan's linebackers in, uh, on, on his team. He says, listen, I, I got 50 bucks that says that Jordan does not know the Lord's Prayer. And Howley said, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. I'll take that bet. So Landry's doing his speech and finishes it up, and he leans over to Jordan and says, okay, Jordan, it's yours. And he says, all right, God, let's pray. And Jordan kneels down. The whole team kneels down, and, and Jordan begins to pray. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep that if I die before I wake, and he's going on, and, and Meredith leans over to Howley. He said, man, I owe you 50 bucks. I didn't know he knew the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Now, I don't know if that story's true, but it should be. Because there are a lot of people who say they know the Lord's Prayer, but they really don't know the Lord's Prayer. Some of you said it many times, but you really don't know it. So it's my prayer, whether you're here for the first time or a long time, you're brand new, you're not even sure if you believe in God, if you're someone that's Christ-centered, I mean, you're all in all the way. I hope that all of us here, uh, when we leave here, we have a better understanding and a deeper appreciation for this thing called the Lord's Prayer. 
Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They're going to brought out. They'll bring one to you. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment. We're going to wind up in Matthew chapter 6. I might glance at Luke 11 for a moment, but if you want the scriptures in your hand, raise your hand. Uh, they will bring one to you. You'll notice your message notes there, and uh, let's kind of go. Now, I want to give you some context. Sometimes it's important to get the context of scripture before we dive into the word. Here's the first thing your message notes, number one. Every Jewish boy, every Jewish girl will be taught two prayers. That would be the Shema and the Abedah. And the Shema, or the Shema, somebody, some refer to it, is over in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 6. I'm just going to read a part of it. I think some will be on the screen, beginning at verse 4. I'm going to read two verses. It goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Some of your Bibles might say might. If you brought your own Bible, it says might. But really that word in the Hebrew is mahada. Say mahada. You know the Hebrew word. Which really means with all your muchness. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness. With every ounce of your being, with everything you got. Love God. Now, this little prayer called the Shema, every Jewish male and female would know this prayer, and they would say it at least twice a day. When they got up in the morning, first thing off their lips, and before they went to bed at night. Some would say it at the seven times a day. They were just on the tip of their tongue, always ready to say. There was another prayer they were taught called the Amidah, and the Amidah is not in the Bible. It was seven, 18 to 19 Jewish blessings out of a Jewish prayer book, depends on the prayer book, the Jewish prayer book you had, 18 or 19 blessings. And every male Jewish female, they would say this prayer three times a day. Now, if you're doing the math, if you've been paying attention to the numbers, that means every Jewish Orthodox serious person will be praying a minimum of five times a day as much as 10 times a day. Now we go into the New Testament, we have Jesus, and you got these disciples. And every once in a while, the disciples noticed that Jesus would disappear. He would go off to be by himself, maybe by the lake or the hillside, and he would say, hey, I'm going to pray. And he'd come back. And when he would come back, I mean, stuff happened. I mean, it wasn't just ordinary stuff. I mean, we're talking about people were fed that were starving to death. People that were naked, all of a sudden they're finding clothes. Uh, people that had disease and stuff happening, they're experiencing healing. So when Jesus went and prayed, when he came back, incredible things happened. So I can picture in my mind the disciples sitting around a campfire, Jesus has gone to pray. And they're going, hey, what do you think he says when he prays? What do you think he asked God? And someone says, hey, why don't you ask him? I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. No, you ask him. No, you ask him. You ask him. And finally, somebody does. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen in case you don't want to turn there. Luke 11, verse 1. Uh, there's one disciple, and he comes, hey, Jesus, uh, John, uh, he taught his disciples how to pray, and we're your disciple. Uh, would you please teach us how to pray? And then he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Now, in your message notes number two, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer as a way of life. That's how he teaches it. Well, you need to understand that every Jewish boy, every Jewish male, would, had part of his quest in growing up was to find his own rabbi. That was his job. Go find your rabbi. Every, he would find a rabbi, and you would follow that rabbi. And there come to a point, you would ask your rabbi, tell me how to pray. And when you ask the question of tell me how to pray, you're really asking something much deeper. And here's what you're asking. 
tell me what you want to accomplish in your ministry while you're on this earth. That's really the meaning of that question, how do I pray? How do you want me to pray? Teach me how to pray. What do you want to accomplish with your ministry while you're on earth? Now, let me put it in business terms. Here's the question. What is your vision? What is your mission? Some of you in business, you understand that. Or say college students. Here's what I say to college students or high school students. What is it that gets you up in the morning besides breakfast or your boyfriend or girlfriend? What is it you want to see be made reality in your life before you die? What is it? That's really the question. How do I pray? Now, let's just say, let's just say that I choose one of you in this room or online or in a sanctuary, true world, I choose you as one of my rabbi. I, I want you to be my rabbi. You do understand, don't you, that you are somebody's rabbi. There is somebody that is following you. And I'm not just talking about on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I'm talking about they're really following you. They're looking to you. They're watching you. They're making decisions about their life by looking at you. You may not know it, but they are. That's kind of like a rabbi. And let's say that you're my rabbi, and I come to you, and I ask you, tell me how to pray. And I'm really saying, what are you going to accomplish in your life before you die? Because I'm following you. I'm going to imitate what you're doing. Pretty serious stuff. And so they ask Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. And he teaches the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're going to put it on the screen here in a moment. We're all going to say it together. And I want you to read it from the screen. Don't do it from memory, those of you who know it, because you're going to do the King James Version, and we're not doing the King James Version. No vows, okay, and shouts. We're not doing that. And there's a part in the middle of the prayer where it says uh, debts or trespasses or sins, and that's the place when you're praying as a group where everybody mumbles, because you don't know what to say, debts or trespasses or sins. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, some of you, because you've been there. So we're going to all read the same thing from the screen, okay? And let's uh, get a feel for the Lord's Prayer. So let's do that. On the screen, please. And let's do this together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, here's what we're about to do. We're in the fifth week of a message series. If you're a guest, we're calling Now Connected. We've been learning how to pray. And this morning, I want to break down the Lord's Prayer for some of you. So when you leave here, you have a deeper appreciation ability to use this prayer in your regular prayer life, but it has more meaning and not just something rote that you repeat before a game or something else you got going on in your lives. So I'm going to work our way. You notice in your message notes, we've broken it down, little lines. We're going to talk about each line a little bit. You kind of co collect your thoughts. And we left out a line. I think it's, I don't know if it's sub subliminal, but there's a line left out down there under bread, which is let us uh, forgive our, our debtors. Uh, as Forgive our debts, you forgive our debtors. And I think that's very interesting that we left that out. I'm thinking that somebody has some debts they don't want to forgive, and so they just didn't put that in there or something. But uh, you might want to write that in because we are going to talk about it. That's a very important part of the prayer. But let's start from the beginning. Here's how it begins. It begins with our 
Father. Now, it's very interesting that the very first word of the Lord's Prayer is our. And let me show you why. In Matthew chapter 6, we see the Lord's Prayer taught in two different places, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. Matthew teaches it as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, before Matthew lays out the teaching of Jesus of the Lord's Prayer, it shows Jesus taught three guidelines for praying. Now, we've already talked about this in part. We've already talked about some of these. But you notice that this is not, on your, it's not going to be on, on the screen. But in verse 5, the first guideline he says there in Matthew chapter 6, that when you pray, uh, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't pray in such a way that people are, oh, my goodness, I'm just so impressed. Can't they pray awesome? He said, don't do that. Don't pray in such a way that people are thinking about you because you're so impressed with your prayer life. No, that's not, that's not a way of praying. And then down there in verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, right? Don't pray for a long time trying to impress people with your long prayers, long run-on sentences, going on and on and on, trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records. Some of you remember that, right? Just get to the point. Just get to it. And... Uh, but then right there, verse 6, in the middle, we've not addressed this. It says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I think this is fascinating here. The very first word of the Lord's prayer is our, O-U-R. But he says here, go into private. Go into a secret place and pray by yourself. See the contrast. Now, a word here is kind of different in some of your Bibles. It says, when you go into your room. Some of your Bibles say, when you go into your closet. The Jewish people in their homes, do they have closets like what you and I have? No, they did not. Their structures and where their dwellings they lived in was not, nothing like what you and I live in today. But they did have a closet. This right here is called a prayer shawl. Every Jewish male, every Jewish female would have one of these prayer shawls. And you see the, the tassels on the end, and there would be a tassels on the corners that would have five knots or five beads, which symbolizes the Torah. That is the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament or the law, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And fascinating, all the students in the house, students hear this. Every Jewish male would be expected to have those five books memorized by age 12. And you think your school is hard. This right here was their closet. When it was time to pray, you get on an airplane on an international flight, and it's a Jewish time to pray, they would take their prayer shawl, they would put it here, and they would go into their place, have their prayer book, they're in their closet to pray, so they're not distracted. This is their closet. Take it with them anywhere they go. And they do that. So don't let me be distracted, God, by uh, the fact that the Texas Ra Raiders are wrecking it the NCAA. Don't even be distracted by that. Don't even be thinking about that so much, God. Don't be thinking about the news. Uh, don't let me be thinking, distracted in my closet about everything that's going on out there in the world, about the text messages, my phone's texting, or that phantom vibration. You know, you do, it's a phantom. You think it's an email. You check and it's not, and you go, oh, that's nothing. You know, I don't want you to be distracted by that stuff. I want you to go into your closet, and the only thing you're going to be distract, distracted by is this. Our Father. Our 
The family of God is huge. The family of God is so diverse. It's so big. It's not just me. It's our Father. Every country, every tribe, every people group, every nationality, every ethnicity, it is our Father. I want you to know that. It's not just yours. It's ours. Our Father. I think that's fascinating that Jesus prays that way because Jewish people did not. They wouldn't call God Father. They would give him a name. They say like Hashim, which means the name, or Elohim, the powerful one, but never used the word Father. They wouldn't even speak the word Yahweh, which is the word for God. They wouldn't even do that. But Jesus says, our Father. Do you pray that way? Do you pray in such a way that you really believe there's a relationship with God as your father? I love Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. In Luke chapter 15, one of the many stories there is a story about, you've heard it, many of you, uh, of the lost sons. And there's really not one lost son, there's two lost sons. You got the older son who thinks he can earn the father's love by doing everything right. I can be good, and if I'm good, I'll get the Father's love. And he just doesn't even get it. He's lost because he doesn't understand really who God is. It's not about you being able to be so good you can earn it. Then there's the other son who thinks he is entitled to his Father's love. He's entitled. He thinks he's entitled to all of his Father's stuff. And so much so, he almost even wishes his father would die early so he could get his inheritance. And so he begs and begs and begs and hits on his dad till his dad finally gives it to him now. And the kid takes it and he leaves the house, right? You know the story. And he squanders it all the way and he's broke and he comes running back. But the story is not about the sons. The story is about the father. And when you read the story, you get an idea of this picture of the father who's standing on the porch looking for his son that is left. And he's on his tiptoes and he's waiting He's looking expectantly, hoping that the son comes home. And he sees him coming. Ah, and he runs out to the boy and he puts his arm around him, puts a robe on him. Yeah, he's come home. And church, that is not just a picture of redemption and grace and salvation. That's a picture of prayer. Do you pray expecting the picture in your head that your father is on his tiptoes. Oh, I can't wait to hear from you. I want to hear where you've been, what you've been doing, what's been going on. I'm so interested in your life. Is that the way you pray? There's a story about this soldier who was in the war, and while he was in the war, he saw these atrocities. So he started writing letters to the president. He wanted the president to know uh, what was on going on in his life. And so he would send these letters to the president and he kept on, he never got a response and he keeps on writing and writing and writing. Finally, he's discharged. He had some unsent letters. He thinks, I'm going to hand deliver these letters to the president. He needs to know what's really going on here in the battlefield. And so he goes to Pennsylvania Avenue without an appointment. Uh, of course, he's rejected. He doesn't get in. He's in uniform. He goes and sits on a park bench outside the White House holding these letters. He wanted the president to see him. This young nine-year-old boy comes by, and he says, Soldier, uh, uh, you look sad. What's wrong? He says, well, I've been trying to get to the president. He's not re returning my letters, and I got these letters. He needs to know what's really going on on the battlefield. And the nine-year-old says, follow me. 
So they get up and they go to the security checkpoint going on the grounds of the White House, and they just, the little boy goes, waves, and they say, wave at him, and they go on in. This guy's going, who is this kid? He walks into the White House, goes into the Oval Office, and he says, hey, Dad, there's this soldier, and he's been writing these letters, and you haven't returned. He's got some more and he says, uh, where is he? He's right here. And he brings him in. And President Lincoln says, how can I help you? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2.18. He said, you and I, we, through Jesus, we have access to the Father. Do you pray that way? That through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know you have access to the omnipresent, all-knowing, all-wise, all-knowing, loving God who is your Father? One of the greatest privileges I've ever had in my life was coaching all three of my sons in baseball. Uh, it was a joy. Uh, we have an old one and two that are kind of close to each other more in age. And there was a time where I was coaching both of them at the same time. And I would be running from one field to the next field to get to the other and juggling, making sure schedules were juggled so I could fit. It was just a, and some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're getting home at 10 and 10.30 at night. Then you're having dinner. Then you're doing homework. And then you're getting up and doing it all over again. Parents, you remember, you remember the schedule, how crazy it could be? I would do it all over again if God would let me. It was that rich, busy, crazy, but oh so sweet. So many learning moments for me as a dad and as a human being. I remember one of the moments where Justin, he was our oldest, but when he was young, seven years of age, the other two had not even yet been born, and we're coaching baseball in the spring of 1987 as the first time here in Burleson to be on a team. And so I'm one of the coaches, and all the other kids start calling me Coach Rick, Coach Rick. And the first time he ever heard a kid call me by my first name, Coach Rick. And so they, I go to the grocery store with the kid. Hey, Coach Rick. I'm at the dry cleaners. Hey, Coach Rick. They started coming to church here. They didn't call me Pastor Rick. It was Coach Rick. So one day, Justin, my little seven-year-old, goes, uh, hey, Coach Rick. Can I have a snack? Hey, Coach Rick, can we go play catch? Hey, Coach Rick, do my homework, Coach Rick. And it was kind of cute for a while. And then I thought, I got to make sure you understand something. So I sat him down in the living room, and I said, listen, son, you can call me Coach Rick all you want to, but you need to know something. Right now, in this world, you are the only person who can call me Father. And when you call me Father, you have instant access to me in the way no other human being does. Do you understand that through Jesus Christ, you have access to the he wants to know what's going on in your life. When this church was busy, when this church was growing up, I mean, I, I, I wasn't always the dad I needed to be. I'd be at the ball fields, but, I, you know, and I would be there to help with homework late at night, but I was just working, 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 working. My kids knew something, no cell phones, but they knew something. They could call the church from the school or any place, call the church, and all I had to do was say, whoever answered the phone, can I speak to my dad? And I don't care what I was doing. When they heard, can I speak to my dad, I would stop to make sure my son knew he had access to me right then, that moment. Church, do you understand that whenever you call, whatever you have going on, the Father has time for you? Do you pray that way? Or you just kind of throw your prayers up in the air and hoping something sticks that is about a relationship with the Father? 
our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. That, 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 he, heaven. Heaven, when you read heaven, it's a picture, right? It's a picture of what you and I think eternity is going to be like. Revelation 21, it talks about uh, of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more darkness, no more death, no more tears, uh, no more divorce, nothing bad. Heaven, where everything is wrong, is made right. I love that picture. And some of us think that just happens when you die. But the prophets and the poets of the Old Testament didn't think that. So the Jewish people didn't think that heaven was someplace you went out there only. They believed that heaven was so close all the time that the goodness of God that the love of God, the grace of God was so near as the very air that you breathe. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is going to teach you and me how to bring there to here, heaven to here. That's what the, it's, it's about a way of life. And then he goes on, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is a very interesting word. In the Jewish language, it means set apart. In the Greek, it means to be honored. It means to be revered. It means to be respected. It means awe. It means wonder. Now, if you're someone who reads your Bible often, and you come to this little place right here, and you're reading in this, you might start, ah, oh, that makes me think of something. Because over in Exodus chapter 20, in the very beginning, it talks about uh, the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments, I think, I think it says, uh, don't misuse the name of God. Yeah, 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 I said it. Don't misuse the name of God. God hallowed is God's name. Interesting, that third commandment, really it's not misused, it's don't miscarry the name of God. Did you know if you're a follower of Jesus that you carry the name of God? And that game, that name is hallowed. That name is reverence. That you carry the integrity of God. You carry the honor of God. You carry the awe and wonder of God. You carry that. And God is saying, I trust you with my brand. I trust you with my reputation. Because when people see you, they learn who I am. My name. I want to speak to all the men. All the men. And ladies, this is not to exclude you. This is not to minimize the role, the important critical role that you have in the family and in the life of human beings. You have a high-level role, but I want to make sure the men get this. We've addressed it before, and I want to keep mentioning it and keep saying it and keep saying it because it's true. All the research, the psychology, all the information comes back to this, that your children, their first understanding or picture of who God is is how they experience you as a father. You literally carry the name of God and your kids are making decisions about God based on you and that name is hallowed it is awe it is reverence it is love our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come next line thy kingdom come your will be done on earth your will be done hey God your kingdom and some of you think okay God's going to be king, a monarchical dictator. No, it's not that at all. That's not what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. What would the world look like if God was really in charge? What, what would your marriage look like if the truth of God and the teaching of God was really <laughs> the final word in your marriage? What would your marriage look like if truth and grace, 
was at the center of it. What would it look like where you work? All the policies, all the procedures, all the rules. What if it was all ruled down to? What if love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself? What if that was practiced truly at your work? How different would your work life be? That's really what it's saying. Your kingdom come. The rule of God's ways in the middle of it. What would the world be like? Your will. It's your vision. It's your purpose. It's your picture. It's your plan. Whatever you can see, God, let that, let, let that, let that be. Let that be. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I love this next part. On earth as it is in heaven. I can picture Jesus himself praying this prayer. Okay, Father, Father, listen. Heaven up there is perfect. It is greatness. It is wonderful. I'm here. Uh, not so much. <laughs> And we need a little up there right here. Could you please bring a little of that here? Because these people, they need some help. They need some help. Now, sometimes when I, I pray this prayer, I pray it like this. I'm going to go back in time to when my kids were small. Because we've got a lot of folks with small kids in here. And what I would do, I would go to where my kids went to school. And I would actually pray. I would walk around the school, the perimeter of that school. And I would pray like this. Like all three of my sons at one time went to Nola Dunn. And one of their journeys. They went to Nola Dunn. I'd walk around the old Nola Dunn, and I would say, God, let it be in Nola Dunn as it is in heaven. Very simple. Sometimes I'd walk around the community of Burleson. When Dallas and I first got here, I would just kind of do some walking. You could do that then. It wasn't quite so dangerous around 174. You don't do that anymore. And I'd just walk around and go, God, let it be done here in Burleson as it is in heaven. Maybe you live in Joshua. Maybe you'd say Joshua. Maybe you'd say Cleaver. Maybe you'd say Mansfield. Maybe it'd be Godly. Wherever you live, God, let it be done here in this place as it is in heaven. God, let it be done in our home. You go to bed at night. God, let it be done in our house, in our marriage, in our children. Maybe you put, let it be done in blank. You name the name of a person that you're really concerned about, some wayward child, some wayward friend. Maybe you're walking. Maybe you walk and do your neighborhood, and there's this neighbor that drives you crazy because their dog always leaves you know, a, a message on the front porch. And uh, instead of cursing them, you're going to say, God, I just pray, God, you would let it be done in that house. Oh, God, just whatever's going on in heaven, God, could it be done in that house? And when you pray that way, you're not putting all the responsibility upon God. You're not saying, God, I want you to fix it. No, you misunderstand the whole prayer. It's a way of life. It's, it's Jesus teaching the way of life. That's what he's doing. It's, here's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I want to partner with you so you can use me to bring heaven to earth, to bring heaven into this area, into this zip code, into this situation, and this moment right now, God, I want you to use me, God, because I know, God, when your will is done and your kingdom comes, heaven is going to invade earth right here. Use me, God. It's not just God, how you do it. You pray for your marriage. God, I pray that heaven will come into my marriage. You are saying, God, use me. I'm going first. I'm going first. I'm not waiting for her. I'm not waiting for him. You use me to bring that to here. Use me. That's what you're saying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I love that part. Here's what he's saying. We all have basic need of food, right? That's just a basic common need. And here's what he's saying. You can go to God and say, God, 
this little small need, I'm going to tell it to you because I know it matters to you. Did you know that every small need you have in your life matters to God? It does. And bread was just a basic every day. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to have a meal. And when you say, God, God, give me this day, this daily bread today, just enough for today, God, not for tomorrow, not for next week. Just in this moment, you're saying, God, I'm totally dependent upon you for meeting my needs. I'm going to do my part, God, but I know ultimately I'm dependent upon you. And here's what I know what most of us do. We only do SOS prayers. We do panic prayers. We wait till we get in trouble before we pray. We don't ask God on the front end to help us. We wait till the last 5% of the project. God, this project, it's not going to get done unless you jump in and do something about it. I've been doing everything along the way. I've been, I've been doing my part, God. And I, or your marriage gets in trouble. Okay, God, we've been really working hard on this marriage here, but now it's about to go in shambles or you're in foreclosure. Now, God, will you please jump in here and do something? But what if on the very front end, when you get married and every single day, as a couple, you would say, God, give us today what we need today to be the best we can be for you in our marriage. God, give us today as a parent this little baby that's just been born. Don't wait till you're 16 and they're hellion on wheels. Start at the very beginning. God, we need help on being the best parents we can be today. You make up give us this day this daily bread. And you're saying, God, I trust you. I need your guidance. I need your help today and tomorrow and tomorrow. And then it goes on to the next part, which I think is so critical. He said, and forgive us of our debts. This is left out of your message notes. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this right here is a picture of what the Lent and Easter is all about. It's a picture of the cross. It's the good news. Uh, there was this guy who comes to my office, and he says, uh, Pastor, i got to tell you this. Uh, I got this call from a collection agency. It says I owe them $45,000. And I called him, and I said, man, how can I owe you $45,000? And well, you just do your credit card. It's due. you got to pay. He said, I don't have a credit card. Yes, you do. You have nine of them. No, I don't. Yes, you do. They gave me Social Security. Is this your Social Security number? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, is this your address? Uh, used to be, but my parents live there now. Oh, I think you might want to go talk to your parents, because I think they may have stolen your identity. And he went and checked out, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Parents got into buying, got desperate, getting all these invitations for credit card, easy credit, boom, 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 $45,000 in debt. He's going, I can't pay that. Somebody has to. It's in your name. So, man, this guy's in a panic, and his friends are telling him, man, you need to take your dad, your mom to justice. Take them to trial. File a lawsuit against them. Put them in jail. They don't deserve, you don't deserve that. You know, go get him in there. He's really wrestling with that. But it just so happens. He'd been going to worship here, and he found out about this thing called the Bible and starting off every morning in reading it. You know, like all of you do? Like all of you do? 15 or 20 minutes every morning, right? Just every morning, 15 or 20 minutes before he started off his day and having his little journal and kind of working his life step. He'd been doing that. And it just so happened he was in... Uh, Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, which, by the way, you're going to be in this week. If you're here and you're a life step person, on the back of your message notes, you'll see you're going to be reading all week long chunks of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So he was doing that. He was going, you know what, God? Uh, man, I'm just aware of how good you've been to me and your grace and my addictions and all my legal problems I've had. And I don't want to do that to my dad, but I just don't know what to do. God, can you show me another way? And so he's praying, and he's writing in his journal. And here's what he writes in his journal, because he sensed God telling him, 
I'm going to invite my dad over for dinner every Monday night. I'm going to cook him dinner, and we're going to work out a plan to pay off the debt. So he called his dad. Dad, I'm not going to arrest you. I'm not going to have file charges, but I'm going to make you dinner every Monday night, and you're coming over. And after dinner, we're going to sit down, and together we're going to work out a plan to pay off the debt. That's been three and a half years. The debt to the collection agency is not fully paid, but the debt between father and son has been totally paid because they are one and close because of the time they spend every Monday together. In church, I'm telling you, that's the gospel. That is the good news that through the cross, you have been set free of your debts so you can set other people free of their debts. Some of you have been given lots of grace, lots of grace, lots of grace, lots of grace, and there's somebody in your life you're going, I'm not giving you grace. You don't deserve it, as if you do. You have been forgiven so you could be a forgiver. You have been reconciled so you can be a reconciler. Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And uh, what is this temptation thing about, anyway? What's the temptation? The temptation is anything other than the kingdom of God. The temptation is anything that distracts you, that causes you to freak out, a numb out, escape, to get away because you're so panicked, you're so freaked out, anything to, where you don't want to feel anymore that gets you to forget that God wants to use you to bring heaven to earth. You need to know the enemy loves it. The enemy loves it when you get all stressed out and anxious, loves it. Loves it when you get so busy, so overscheduled, so when you're so distracted by all your stuff. Loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it. Uh, in fact, when the enemy sees a woman or a male, but a woman, oh, man, look, I got her right where I want her. She can't sleep. She's just worried and tossing and turning and kicking. And look at him. He's so busy. He's running from here to there. His counter's so full. Oh, I got him right where I want him. Hey, look at that married couple. Look at them. They're both on the phone all the time. Somebody's sitting right next to them in the car, in the bed, in the TV room, and they got a phone in their hands, not even talking to each other. I don't have to worry about them bringing heaven into that relationship because they're so distracted. Got them right where I want them. But Jesus says, lead us not to the temptation of being distracted of anything that would keep me from being used by God to bring heaven to earth right here, right now, his will done in this situation. And then yours, he finishes off, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. And I think many of us can say, yeah, it's your kingdom, God. It's not my kingdom. I don't want to be king. I'll let you handle that. And God, power but it's all about your power. Power is not in what I drive. Power is not in what I wear. Power is not in my title. It's all about your power. But the glory part, I think most of us really don't want to pray that prayer. And here's why. I'm going to be you. I'm going to be me. I think I'm, this is all of us. You know what, God? I, I really don't want you to get all the glory because I kind of like getting a little credit. I kind of like it when people see me do stuff that I do in secret, but I want them to know that I did it. You know what I'm talking about? I just... I kind of like the approval of other people. But a serious follower of Jesus, it's, uh, 
No, it's your kingdom. And it's your power. And it's really God, all the credit goes to you, not to me. And then he says, amen. And amen literally means, this is what it literally means, this is truth, this is right, and I'm all in. That's what it, this is truth, this is right, that's literally what amen means, I am in. And Jesus prays the prayer, and he says, okay, guys, uh, this is true, and it's right, but are you in? Now, here's how we're going to wind this up. Here's what we're about to do. We're going to put the Lord's Prayer up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to kind of look through it, and I want you to grab the word of the phrase that just most captures you. Maybe it's our. Maybe you've been very selfish. You've been very selfish, and you realize the kingdom of God is bigger than just me. Maybe it's the part about Father, that you're just kind of going through the motions, but you want to have an image of Father as on his tippy toes. Can't wait to hear from your prayer. Uh, maybe it's hallowed, right? Maybe you just don't have any awesomeness about the Word of God anymore, and you're going to ask, uh, is God really hallowed in my finances? Is God hallowed in my marriage? Is God holy? Um, maybe it's about needs. You just go to God and say, you know what, God, I've just been waiting to be in crisis, but I'm going to start asking you every day just to meet my daily need, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do my part, but I'm not going to toss and turn and worry all night long because I know you got this. You tell me you have it. I'm going to put it in your hands and trust you, God. Or maybe it's, it's got, got this little thing called let it be done on earth. I'm going to take earth. I'm going to fill in the blank. Let it be done in, and I'm going to put someone's name. Let it be done in name your son or daughter that's been wayward. Let it be done. Or maybe, God, it's a, there's somebody, God, I've been holding on to my anger, my resentment, my bitterness, and these names are flooding to mind of people you need to forgive, and you need to let it go and stop holding on to unforgiveness. Or maybe it's a, you're so distracted. Worry. Busy. You just got to zero in. God, it's your kingdom, it's your power, it's your glory. It's not about me. I want to stop here, God. You use me to bring heaven to earth. Use me, God. Amen. It's true, God. It's true. I know it's true, God. It's right. I know it's right. And I'm in. I'm making a declaration. God, I'm in. I don't know what it is, but just take a moment. Check it out. 60 seconds. about that word of that phrase that God convicted you on. And I'm going to ask you to say it with meaning and with purpose. Maybe with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please stop by the servant sign up. We need a few more servants to bring heaven to earth.